Section 12 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan, Volume 1, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. The last Congress, before its dissolution, had recommended that panacea for political ills, a convention to amend the Constitution. The governments of England and France were represented near that of Central America by consuls general. Neither had any treaty. England could not procure one except under a surrender of all claim to the island of Roatan in the Bay of Honduras and to Belize. One had been drawn up with France, but though pressed with great earnestness by the consul general of that country, the Senate refused to ratify it. Ours was the only government that had any treaty with Central America, and up to the time of Mr. DeWitt's departure from the country, we were represented by a chargé d'affaires. The British Consul General had published a circular denying the existence of the general government. The French Consul was not on good terms with either party, and my arrival and the course I might take were a subject of some interest to politicians. There was but one side to politics in Guatemala. Both parties have a beautiful way of producing unanimity of opinion by driving out of the country all who do not agree with them. If there were any liberals, I did not meet them, or they did not dare to open their lips. The central party, only six months in power, and still surprised at being there, was fluttering between arrogance and fear. The old families, whose principal members had been banished or politically ostracized, and the clergy, were elated at the expulsion of the Liberal Party, and their return to what they considered their natural right to rule the state. They talked of recalling the banished archbishop and friars, restoring the privileges of the church, repairing the convents, reviving the monastic institutions, and making Guatemala what it had once been, the jewel of Spanish America. One of my first visits of ceremony was to Señor Rivera Paz, the chief of the state. I was presented by Mr. Henry Savage, who had formerly acted as United States Consul at Guatemala, and was the only American resident, to whom I am under many obligations for his constant attentions. The state of Guatemala, having declared its independence of the federal government, was at that time governed by a temporary body called a Constituent Assembly. On the last entry of Carrera into the city in March preceding my arrival, Salazar, the chief of state, fled, and Carrera, on horseback, knocked at the door of Senor Rivera Paz before daylight, and by his individual pleasure installed him as chief. It was a fortunate choice for the people of Guatemala. He was about thirty-eight, gentlemanly in his appearance and manners, and in all the trying positions in which he was afterward placed, exhibited more than ordinary prudence and judgment. I had been advised that it would be agreeable to the government of Guatemala 
for me to present my credentials to the chief of that state, and afterward to the chiefs of the other states, and that the states separately would treat of the matters for which I was accredited to the general government. The object of this was to preclude a recognition on my part of the power which was, or claimed to be, the general government. The suggestion was, of course, preposterous, but it showed the dominion of party spirit with men who knew better. Senor Rivera Paz expressed his regret at my happening to visit the country at such an unfortunate period, and assured me of the friendly disposition of that state, and that it would do all in its power to serve me. During my visit I was introduced to several of the leading members of the administration, and I left with a favorable opinion of Rivera Paz, which was never shaken in regard to him personally. In the evening, in company with Mr. Hall, I attended the last meeting of the Constituent Assembly. It was held in the old Hall of Congress. The room was large, hung with portraits of old Spaniards, distinguished in the history of the country, and dimly lighted. The deputies sat on a platform at one end, elevated about six feet, and the president on an elevation in a large chair. Two secretaries at a table beneath, and on the wall were the arms of the Republic, the groundwork of which was three volcanoes, emblematic, I suppose, of the combustible state of the country. The deputies sat on each side, about thirty were present, nearly half of whom were priests, with black gowns and caps, and by the dull light the scene carried me back to the dark ages and seemed a meeting of inquisitors. The subject under discussion was a motion to revive the old law of tithes, which had been abolished by the Liberal Party. The law was passed unanimously, but there was a discussion upon a motion to appropriate a small part of the proceeds for the support of hospitals for the poor. The priests took part in the discussion, and with liberal sentiments. A lay member with big black whiskers opposed it, saying that the church stood like a light in darkness, and the Marquis Isinena, a priest and the leading member of the party, said that, what was raised for God should be given to God alone. There was another discussion upon the point whether the law should operate upon cattle, then in being, or to be born thereafter, and finally as to the means of enforcing it. One gentleman contended that coercive measures should not be used, and with a fine burst of eloquence, said that reliance might be placed upon the religious feelings of the people, and that the poorest Indian would come forward and contribute his might. But the assembly decided that the law should be enforced by las leyes antiguas de los españoles, the old laws of the Spaniards, the severities of which had been one of the greatest causes of revolution in all Spanish countries. There was something horrible in this retrograde legislation. I could hardly realize that in the nineteenth century 
men of sense and in a country through the length and breadth of which free principles were struggling for the ascendancy would dare fasten on the people a yoke which even in the dark ages was too galling to be borne the tone of debate was respectable but calm and unimpassioned from the entire absence of any opposition party the assembly purported to be a popular body representing the voice of the people it was a time of great excitement and the last night of its session and mr hall and i four men and three boys were the only listeners as it was not safe to be in the streets after eight o'clock the assembly was adjourned and after a short session the next morning assembled at a state breakfast the place of meeting was in the old library a venerable room containing a valuable collection of rare old spanish books and manuscripts among which had lately been discovered the two missing volumes of fuentes and where i promised myself much satisfaction the only guests were mr hall the french consul-general colonel monte rosa an aide of carrera and myself carrera was invited but did not come the table was profusely ornamented with flowers and fruits there was very little wine drunk no toasts and no gaiety there was not a gray-haired man at table all were young and so connected that it seemed a large family party more than half had been in exile and if morazan returned to power they would all be scattered again i had been but three days in guatemala and already the place was dull the clouds which hung over the political horizon weighed upon the spirits of the inhabitants and in the evening i was obliged to shut myself up in my house alone in the uncertainty which hung over my movements and to avoid the trouble of housekeeping for perhaps but a few weeks i dined and supped at the house of the senora an interesting young widow who owned mine her husband had been shot in a private revolution of his own getting up and lived nearly opposite the first evening i remained there till nine o'clock but as i was crossing on my return home a fierce quien vive who goes came booming up the street in the dark i could not see the sentinel and did not know the password fortunately and what was very unusual he repeated the challenge two or three times but so fiercely that the tones of his voice went through me like a musket ball and probably in a moment more the ball itself would have followed but an old lady rushed out of the house i had left and with a lantern in her hand screamed patria libre though silent i was not idle and when in a safe place thanked her from across the street hugging close the inside of my doorway since carrera's entry he had placed sentinels to preserve the peace of the city which was very quiet before he came and his peace officers kept it in a constant state of alarm these sentinels were indians ignorant undisciplined and insolent and fond of firing their muskets 
they were ordered to challenge quien vive who goes que gente what people que el regimento what regiment and then fire one fellow had already obeyed his orders literally and hurrying through the three questions without waiting for answers fired and shot a woman the answers were patria libre country free paisano countryman and pas peace this was a subject of annoyance all the time i was in guatemala the streets were not lighted and hearing the challenge sometimes at a distance of a square in a ferocious voice without being able to see the sentinel i always imagined him with his musket at his shoulder peering through the darkness to take aim i felt less safe by reason of my foreign pronunciation but i never met any one native or stranger who was not nervous when within reach of the sentinel's challenge or who would not go two squares out of the way to avoid it chapter ten hacienda of narengo lasuin diplomatic correspondence formulas feet of la concepcion taking the black veil a countrywoman renouncing the world fireworks etc procession in honor of the virgin another exhibition of fireworks a fiery bull insolent soldiery the next day in company with mr savage i rode to narengo a small hacienda of the Aicinena family about seven miles from the city beyond the walls all was beautiful and in the palmy days of guatemala the Aicinenas rolled to the narengo in an enormous carriage full of carving and gilding in the style of the grandees of spain which now stands in the courtyard of the family house as a memorial of better days we entered by a large gate into a road upon their land undulating and ornamented with trees and by a large artificial lake made by damming up several streams we rode around the borders of the lake and entered a large cattle yard in the center of which on the side of a declivity stood the house a strong stone structure with a broad piazza in front and commanding a beautiful view of the volcanoes of the antigua the hacienda was only valuable from its vicinity to guatemala being what would be called at home a country seat and contained only seven thousand acres of land about seventy mules and seven hundred head of cattle it was the season for marking and numbering the cattle and two of the senores Aicinena were at the hacienda to superintend the operations the cattle had been caught and brought in but as i had never seen the process of lassoing after dinner a hundred head which had been kept up two days without food were let loose into a field two or three miles in circumference eight men were mounted with iron spurs an inch long on their naked heels and each with a lasso in hand which consisted of an entire cow's hide cut into a single cord about twenty yards long one end was fastened to the horse's tail which was first wrapped in leaves to prevent its being lacerated and the rest was wound into a coil and held by the rider in his right hand 
resting on the pommel of the saddle the cattle had all dispersed we placed ourselves on an elevation commanding a partial view of the field and the riders scattered in search of them in a little while thirty or forty rushed past followed by the riders at full speed and very soon were out of sight we must either lose the sport or follow and in one of the doublings taking particularly good care to avoid the throng of furious cattle and headlong riders i drew up to the side of two men who were chasing a single ox and followed over hill through bush brush and underwood one rider threw his lasso beautifully over the horns of the ox and then turned his horse while the ox bounded to the length of the lasso and without shaking horse or rider pitched headlong to the ground at this moment a herd swept by with the whole company in full pursuit a large yellow ox separated from the rest and all followed him for a mile he kept ahead doubled and dodged but the horsemen crowded him down toward the lake and after an ineffectual attempt to bolt he rushed into the water two horsemen followed and drove him out and gave him a start but in a few moments the lasso whizzed over his head and while horse and rider stood like marble the ox again came with a plunge to the ground the riders scattered and one horse and rider rolled over in such a way that i thought every bone in his body was broken but the sport was so exciting that i who at the beginning was particularly careful to keep out of harm's way felt very much disposed to have my own horse's tail tied up and take a lasso in my hand the effect of the sport was heightened by the beauty of the scene with the great volcanoes of agua and fuego towering above us and toward evening throwing a deep shade over the plain it was nearly dark when we returned to the house with that refinement of politeness which i believe is exclusively spanish the gentleman escorted us some distance on our road at dark we reached guatemala and to our great satisfaction learned at the gate that the soldiers were confined to the barracks the news of my arrest and imprisonment with great exaggeration of circumstance had reached guatemala before me and i was advised that the state government intended making me a communication on the subject i waited several days and not receiving any made a formal complaint setting forth the facts and concluding that i did not attempt to suggest what ought to be done but felt satisfied that the government would do what was consistent with its own honor and the rights of a friendly nation in a few days i received an answer from the secretary of state conveying the regrets of the president for the occurrence and stating that before receiving my note the government had taken the measures which it deemed proper in the premises as this was very indefinite and as i bore considerable anger against the parties and moreover as i had heard out of doors something about these measures and considered it necessary for the protection of americans who were or might be in that country 
not to suffer an outrage that had become notorious to be treated lightly i addressed a further note to the secretary asking specifically whether the officer and alcalde referred to had been punished and if so in what way to this i received for answer that in the circumstances in which the country was placed by means of an extraordinary popular revolution and the distrust prevailing in the frontier villages the local authorities were more suspicious than usual in the matter of passports and that the outrage el atropellamento which i had suffered had its origin in the orders of a military officer un oficial militar who suspected that i and my companions were quotes, enemies and that general cascara as soon as he was informed of the circumstances had removed him from his command the reply went on to say that the government much to its regret from the difficult circumstances in which the country was placed had not the power to give that security to travellers which it desired but would issue preventative orders to the local authorities to secure me in my further travels i had understood that general cascara had removed the officer but the intelligence was hardly received in guatemala before carrera ordered him to be restored and i afterwards saw in a san salvador paper that he had threatened to shoot general cascara if his degradation was not revoked in further communications with the secretary and the chief of the state they confessed their inability to do anything and being satisfied that they desired it even more than myself i did not consider it worth while to press the subject as indeed in strictness i had no right to call upon the state government the general government had not the least particle of power in the state and i mention the circumstance to show the utter feebleness of the administration and the wretched condition of the country generally it troubled me on one account as it showed the difficulty and danger of prosecuting the travels i had contemplated from the moment of my arrival i was struck with the devout character of the city of guatemala at matins and vespers the churches were all open and the people particularly the women went regularly to prayers every house had its figure of the virgin the saviour or some tutelary saint and on the doors were billets of paper with prayers la verdadera sangre de cristo nuestro redentor que solo representada en egipto libro a los israelitas de un brazo fuerte y poderoso librenos de la peste guerra y muerte repentina amen the true blood of christ our redeemer which alone exhibited in egypt freed the israelites from a strong and powerful arm deliver us from pestilence war and sudden death amen o maria concebida sin pecado rogad por nosotros que recurrimos a vos o virgin conceived without sin pray for us that we may have recourse to thee ave maria gracia plena y la santissima trinidad nos favorezca hail mary full of grace 
and may the Holy Spirit favor us. El dulce nombre de Jesús sea con nosotros. Amen. On the first Sunday after my arrival was celebrated the feat of La Concepción, a feat always honored in the observances of the Catholic Church, and this day more important from the circumstance that a probationer in the convent of La Concepción intended to take the black veil. At break of day the church bells rang throughout the city, cannon were fired in the plaza, and rockets and fireworks set off at the corners of the streets. At nine o'clock crowds of people were hurrying to the church of La Concepción. Before the door, and extending across the streets, were arches decorated with evergreens and flowers. The broad steps of the church were strewed with pine leaves, and on platforms were men firing rockets. The church was one of the handsomest in Guatemala, rich with gold and silver ornaments, pictures and figures of saints, and adorned with arches and flowers. The Padre Aicinena, the vice president of the state and the leading member of the constituent assembly, was the preacher of the day, and his high reputation attracted a large concourse of people. The pulpit was at one end of the church, and the great mass of the people were anxious to hear the sermon. This left the other end comparatively vacant, and I placed myself on a step of the nearest altar, directly in front of the grating of the convent. At the close of the sermon there was a discharge of rockets and crackers from the steps of the church, the smoke of which clouded the interior, and the smell of powder was stronger than that of the burning incense. The floor was strewed with pine leaves and covered with kneeling women, with black mantas drawn close over the top of the head and held together under the chin. I never saw a more beautiful spectacle than these rows of kneeling women, with faces pure and lofty in expression, lighted up by the enthusiasm of religion, and among them fairer than most and lovely as any was one from my own land not more than twenty-two married to a gentleman belonging to one of the first families of guatemala once an exile in the united states in a new land and among a new people she had embraced a new faith and with the enthusiasm of a youthful convert no lady in guatemala was more devout more regular at mass or more strict in all the discipline of the Catholic Church than the sister Susanna. After the fireworks there was a long ceremony at the altar, and then a general rush toward the other extremity of the church. The convent was directly adjoining, and in the partition wall, about six feet from the floor, was a high iron grating, and about four feet beyond it another at which the nuns attended the services of the church. Above the iron grating was a wooden one, and from this, in a few minutes, issued a low strain of wild Indian music, and presently a figure in white, with a long white veil and a candle in her right hand, and both arms extended, walked slowly to within a few feet of the grating, and then as slowly retired. Presently the same low note issued from the grating below, and we saw advancing a procession of white nuns with long white veils, 
each holding in her hand a long lighted candle the music ceased and a chant arose so low that it required intent listening to catch the sound advancing two and two with this low chant to within a few feet of the grating the sisters turned off different ways at the end of the procession were two black nuns leading between them the probationer dressed in white with a white veil and a wreath of roses round her head the white nuns arranged themselves on each side their chant ceased and the voice of the probationer was heard alone but so faint that it seemed the breathing of a spirit of air the white nun strewed flowers before her and she advanced between the two black ones three times she stopped and kneeled continuing the same low chant and the last time the white nuns gathered around her strewing flowers upon her head and in her path slowly they led her to the back part of the chapel and all kneeled before the altar at this time a strain of music was heard at the other end of the church a way was cleared through the crowd and a procession advanced consisting of the principal priests clothed in their richest robes and headed by the venerable professor an octogenarian with white hair and tottering on the verge of the grave as remarkable for the piety of his life as for his venerable appearance a layman bore on a rich frame a gold crown and sceptre studded with jewels the procession advanced to a small door on the right of the grating and the two black nuns and the probationer appeared in the doorway some words passed between her and the provisor which i understood to be an examination by him whether her proposed abandonment of the world was voluntary or not this over the provisor removed the wreath of roses and the white veil and put on her head the crown and in her hand the sceptre the music sounded loud notes of triumph and in a few moments she reappeared at the grating with the crown and sceptre and a dress sparkling with jewels the sisters embraced her and again threw roses upon her it seemed horrible to heap upon her the pomp and pleasures of the world at the moment when she was about to bid farewell to them for ever again she kneeled before the altar and when she rose the jewels and precious stones the rich ornaments with which she was decorated were taken from her and she returned to the bishop who took away the crown and the sceptre and put on her head the black veil again she appeared before the grating the last the fatal step was not yet taken the black veil was not drawn again the nuns pressed round and this time they almost devoured her with kisses i knew nothing of her story i had not heard that the ceremony was to take place till late in the evening before and i had made up my mind that she was old and ugly but she was not nor was she faded and worn with sorrow the picture of a broken heart nor yet a young and beautiful enthusiast she was not more than twenty-three and had one of those good faces which without setting men wild by their beauty bear the impress of a nature well qualified for the performance of all duties belonging to daughter 
and wife and mother speaking the kindliness and warmth of a woman's heart it was pale and she seemed conscious of the important step and the solemn vows she was taking and to have no pangs and yet who can read what is passing in the human breast she returned to the provisor who drew over her face a black veil and music rose in bursts of rejoicing that one who was given to the world to take a share in its burdens had withdrawn herself from it immediately commenced the hum of restrained voices and working my way through the crowd i joined a party of ladies one of whom was my fair countrywoman she was from a small country town in pennsylvania and the romance of her feelings toward convents and nuns had not yet worn off on carrera's first invasion she had taken refuge in the convent of la concepcion and spoke with enthusiasm of the purity and piety of the nuns describing some as surpassing in all the attributes of woman she knew particularly the one who had just taken the veil and told me that in a few days she would appear at the grating of the convent to embrace her friends and bid them farewell and promised to take me and procure me a share in the distribution during this time rockets were fired from the steps and in the street immediately in front was a frame of fireworks thirty feet high which the whole crowd waited on the steps and in the street to see set off everybody spoke of the absurdity of such an exhibition by daylight but they said it was the custom the piece was complicated in its structure and in the center was a large box there was a whizzing of wheels a great smoke and occasionally a red flash and as the extremities burned out for the finale with a smart cracking the box flew open and when the smoke cleared away discovered the figure of a little black nun at which all laughed and went away End of section 12